father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious! monumental installment of What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. So, I think most of our listeners are probably aware, but the new Star Wars movie came out two days ago. We saw it. We saw it. Opening night, midnight showing, which was actually at 7 p.m. That's midnight for old people. I had a good time. What'd you think of it? I really loved it Mm -hmm. a lot. Even as somebody who is not a huge Star Wars fan, I loved it. Now, it should be said, it was a bit of a mess. Yeah, I mean, it made some pretty bold choices. Um, I was really surprised that uh, Supreme Leader Snoke's plan was to turn all of Rey's friends into porgs. There was that scene near the end where she, she's all surrounded by porgs and she turns to BB-8 and says, Well, I guess I am the last Jedi. And then she looks and, and it's just a porg on top of a ball. Yeah, that was weird. That was shocking. The other weird part was where Ray was looking into that reflective surface in the cave thinking she was going to see her parents. Yeah. And her parents were just two porgs in a trench coat. I mean, it really does blow the whole thing wide open, doesn't it? Really just bold choices. Ending the movie with... Uh, a porg CGI dance party over Smash Mouth? That was a real bold choice. I mean, I mean only, only, only an auteur like Ryan Johnson could bring us something like that. You know, he didn't... I can't say he met my expectations because I couldn't have expected it, but he definitely exceeded them. Yeah. And I think he really exceeded the boundaries of the genre as yeah. well. You know what? We should have done spoiler warning. Sorry, guys. Just, just uh, forget you heard that. Go in fresh. Act surprised for everybody else in the theater. Yeah. There are some criticisms that are valid. It does throw an awful lot at the wall. But I like those movies that throw spaghetti at the wall. Uh, See what sticks. This movie does that. I just think a lot of the complaints are coming from, like, diehard fans who are mad that their little fan cannons didn't pan out how they expected. So if you're like that, go in without those expectations, and you'll be more happy with the movie. I mean, I want to be clear. I don't think that everybody who dislikes it is basing their enmity on the fact that it doesn't meet their fan canons. But I think it not meeting your fan canon is not a valid reason for disliking it. No. Find a better reason. I want to say, and we can cut this out because this is relevant to almost nothing. Yeah. But when I came into the theater, the first thing I saw was this man in a ludicrously expensive business suit. Standing there with this giant silver Mylar balloon that said Charles Schwab. I saw that guy. Yeah. He was like waiting at the airport for Charles Schwab. Like that's how it looked, the way he was holding the balloon up. He was like... Charles will be here any moment now. That's exactly what I thought. And then when you went through up to like the um, the ticket desk, there was another balloon that said Charles Schwab. And my friends, Teresa and Dan and I, while we were waiting for Ryan, were like, what is with all this Charles Schwab stuff? And then all of a sudden this guy stands up like on a box and he's like, who is here for Charles Schwab? I mean, we all were. I, I See, I thought we were there for Star Wars. Well, brought to you by Charles Schwab. Clearly. They were a key investors in this movie or something. Man. So, like, Teresa and Dan and I, of course, lost it at oh, that point. Definitely. We're like, nobody's here for Charles Schwab. That's dumb. And then Charles Schwab's in the back being like, oh. <laughs> Nobody came for me. Everybody just came because they liked Star Wars. I thought they were coming to my birthday party, but they just want to see a Star Wars. And all his handlers are like, no, they're, all, they're totally here for you, Charles. Charlie, Charlie. They're no, come down, buddy. Come on. Everybody loves you, Charlie. No, they just love 
Kylo Ren. I mean, who doesn't love Kylo Ren? Not Charlie Schwab. Can I say Charles? Uh, Charles. I almost said Charles Ren. Kylo yeah. Ren yeah. is really swole. Yeah. Like, really swole. That's a major spoiler. You shouldn't say that. Do you think? We're cutting this part out. It's a huge spoiler. Yeah, there's a part where he takes his shirt off, and I literally gasped aloud. I'm not ashamed to say that. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> All right. So I'd like to start the Lord of the Rings portion of this podcast now. Is that okay with you? Um, yeah. Yeah, we can take a break from Star Wars for, you know, we'll come tw- back 20 to, to 30 minutes, and we can talk about Lord of the Rings. I would like to start with a correction. Mm. Last time I said that the spiders of Mirkwood were Ungolian's children. They may, in fact, be Shelob's children. Oh. So they are descendants of... Ungoliant either way. However, if there's any diehard Tolkien spider genealogists out there, please don't send us hate mail. I, I thought I was going to ask, did a spider send you an angry email about this? They might have. Yeah. They were on Anon, but I definitely got the impression that they were typing with eight legs. Well, you know them. They're all over the web. But um. <laughs> so, but that's literally the only mistake I've made in this entire podcast so far. And it is literally the only mistake I will make ever in the course of this podcast, so you can't really be that mad at me. So last time, you'll remember that the dynamic duo, Morgoth and Ungoliant, mm-hmm. joined forces to destroy the two trees of Valinor and steal the Silmarils from their creator, Feanor. My OTP. OT- <laughs> I feel like we should specify for people who aren't on Tumblr... OTP means one true pairing. You make me sound like I'm on Tumblr, Joanna. You are on Tumblr. You have a Tumblr account. I've seen it. I don't... Yeah, I do. You do. You do. So that's OTP. So so Ryan's OTP. It's not Sherlock and John. It's not Kylo Ren and Ray Ray. Yeah. It's Ungoliant and Morgoth. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to be really sad with how things end between them. Ooh, okay. Yep, they're going to become your no-TP. Oh, no. Now, I'll tell you what happened... Uh, after Morgoth and Ungoliant escaped to Middle-earth with their filthy lucre. So as soon as they get to Middle-earth, Morgoth heads north to the fortress of Angband. And he had actually built Angband, like, sometime before Wait, that. Say, say, say that one more time. Angband. Ang, okay. Yeah. Ang, it's actually very hard to say. It sounds like Angbok, the Thai warrior. Closely related. Okay. Very <laughs> sorry, closely related. I think that's where Angbok got his name. So he had actually built Angband sometime before in the earliest days of the world. So he built Angband, this fortress, as part of this enormous stronghold called Utumno. Okay. However, the Valor pretty quickly swept in and wiped Utumno off the face of the map. So not much was left apart from the ruins of the fortress of Angband. Okay. I want to digress for just a second because this is an interesting note. In Fellowship of the Ring, there's the scene with Gandalf on the bridge of Khazad-dûm facing off against the Balrog, right? Classic, classic. Yes. So this is what Gandalf Are says. You fools? Exactly. And this is what Gandalf says in the book, which is pretty similar to what he says in the movie. You cannot pass. I am a servant of the secret flame of Anor. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun. Go back to the shadows. You cannot pass. Mm-hmm. So the phrase Flame of Udun. Yeah. Udun is another name for Utumno, the stronghold of Morgoth. And Gandalf calls the Balrog Flame of Udun because Morgoth created the Balrogs. Oh, really? Yes. Yes, really. I didn't know that. I mean, they look like his work. They look like something a dick would make, I mean, I right? don't know Morgoth personally, but if I had to guess, what kind of, what kind of thing... Something that's on fire and is large and is evil. And has a whip. And it's kind of a dick. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's what he made. Another interesting note. When Utumno was destroyed by the Valar, some of Morgoth's servants escaped by hiding in secret chambers underneath Angband. And when I say servants, I basically mean Sauron and a bunch of Balrogs. Okay. So just imagine Sauron chilling with all these Balrogs in a foxhole while everything above him is getting blown to oblivion. It's got to be cramped. Those guys are big. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how big. I guess Sauron could be as big as he wants because he's a spirit. He can make himself real little. Yeah. So maybe he made himself teeny tiny squoze in between the Balrogs. Excuse me, guys. This guy's squeeze right in here. And they just waited it out. And that's how they survived. All right. But anyway... I'm getting off topic. So Morgoth returns to Angband and, much like his spiritual successor Leonardo DiCaprio, (laughs) declares himself king of the world. And he makes himself this giant iron crown in which he places the Silmarils, held by iron claws. I mean, again, he can't think he's the good guy. No! He was never under any impression that he was the good guy. He was the bad guy, and he leaned into it, and you have to respect that. I do respect that. It should be noted that as he was placing the Silmarils in the Iron Crown, they burned his hands every time he touched them. Because they were so holy, and he was such a dick. Exactly. But he did it anyway, because that's his dedication to his overall aesthetic. Yeah, I bet he actually liked it a little bit. You think? He's like, oh, it burns so good. You have a very, very strange and specific concept of Morgoth's sexuality. So you think he's into spiders and burning his hands. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure what you would call that fetish. I call it Morgoth. Oh, named after him. Yeah. That's good. It's real yeah. specific. So. Very, very specific. Around this time, here comes your OTP. Morgoth had a falling out with his bestie, Ungoliant. Oh, no. So when he and Ungoliant made it to Middle-earth, Ungoliant demanded she be allowed to eat the Silmarils. Sounds fair. Morgoth's like, girl, look at yourself. You already ate all the light from those trees, and you're huge. And Ungoliant was like, are you serious? I worked super hard. You told me I could eat a ton of light, and those jewels are made of light. Hand them over. So he was basically like, no fatties. Exactly. No fatties, no uggos. Morgoth. It's sad that he let... He's like, listen, I gotta bling out my crown. Chubbo. I think he let societal beauty standards get in the way of true love. Yeah, that sucks. Does suck. Morgoth still refused to hand him over, so Ungoliant tried to kill him. Morgoth called upon the Balrogs to chase her away, and so she went into the southeast and went on a crazy bender. Oh no. Eating, she was eating all the light she could find, mating with every giant spider she could find. Oh, don't eat your feelings, sweetheart. I know last time I said I didn't know if she needed a mate to produce offspring. Well, apparently she did. Because she was mating with the native giant spiders of Middle-earth. Okay. By the way, she destroyed all her mates after she'd had her way with them. Yeah, mate and destroy. That's how, that's how they do it. Well, yeah. Anyway, that's getting off topic a little bit again, but that's kind of how... No, I think this is very on topic. I think it's a good continuation of our last episode of this this podcast. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. It's quite informative. If you haven't, I'm not exactly sure why you're starting with episode four. That's a weird place to start. Because it's the most recent one, and you know, I don't know. That would be stupid. I don't think you're stupid listener. First timer. If you're starting with episode four, I think you're stupid. Well, you can skip Joanna's half of the podcast and tune into mine, because I'm here for you. New listener. I'm not here for you. I'll never have your back when you fall. If we did a trust fall right now, I would try to catch you, but if my cell phone rang or something, I'd probably answer it instead of catching you. I would catch you. So last time I mentioned that the creator of the Silmarils, Feanor, and his followers swore an oath to recover the Silmarils, and they followed Morgoth to Mm Middle-earth, right? So how'd that go? Well, in the year 466 of the First Age, one of the Silmarils was indeed recovered, but... It was not recovered by Feanor. 
It was recovered by an interracial power couple called Baron and Luthien. Do those names sound at all familiar to you? Should they? Perhaps. Baron and Luthien are actually Aragorn's ancestors. Oh, do they bring that up? In passing. So, so Baron was a man, and Luthien was an elf, and they defied the odds to be together. Right. That's kind of what they referenced with, uh, with Aragorn and Arwen, right? Exactly. Because to be with Baron, Luthien had to give up her immortality and eventually die. Right. Parallels. Obviously, yes, this parallels the situation between Aragorn and Arwen, and presumably that's one of the reasons why the prospect of Arwen giving up her immortality upset Aragorn so much, because this had happened once before in his family line. Sure. A side note about Baron and Luthien. In The Fellowship of the Ring, there's a scene shortly after Aragorn and the hobbits meet up in Bree, where Frodo wakes up and he hears Aragorn singing this sad song about an elf maiden who died. Mm -hmm. That song is The Lay of Luthien. Oh, so, so famous ditty about Aragorn's ancestors. My dead great grandma. Essentially, was what he was singing. So is Aragorn a little bit elf then? Like, would he get um, trace like, amounts? Like, you know, would he get into college easier? He's a little bit elf. If they had college, then yes, he could certainly leverage that. Aragorn then would be presumably a fraction fraction. But remember, he's still going to be mortal because Luthien gave up her immortality. I'm just saying, I don't see any points in the mirrors. Not even, like, an acute angle. No, none. He was raised among elves. He was raised oh. in Rivendell. But that's a different story for a different time. Okay, I'd like to hear that story sometime. Right, so culturally, he's kind of elvish. Okay. Another side note. This is super cute. I'm really excited to tell you this. So, Tolkien and his wife's tombstones. Tolkien says Baron, and his wife says Luthien. She was a saint. To go along with that. I mean... That was the gravy train, right? My wife, let's carve on our tombstones the name of my characters. You and you can be an elf. Oh, that's generous of you. I don't actually remember saying I wanted to be that. Too late, I've already ordered them. Oh, wow, you spent a lot of money on this. Oh, boy. Yes, this is what you wanted, right? You, you like elves. Well, this is what I've hitched my wagon to, so I guess I might as well follow it. To its logical conclusion. Huzzah! Let's die. That's how it went. Yep. And they died literally in that exact oh moment. Oh goodness. They didn't just give up their immortality, they gave up their mortality and just died. All of it. So, to steal one of the Silmarils, Luthien put a spell of concealment upon herself and Baron, and they snuck into Angband, and they entered Morgoth's throne chamber, and Luthien put a sleep spell on Morgoth. So this is some D&D stuff right sure, here. Sure, yeah. Right? Baron used a knife to cut one of the Silmarils out of the Iron Crown. Unfortunately, this Iron Crown was so strong that his knife snapped in the process. Ha! <laughs> Don't ha, he's a good guy. Oh. Oh, no. And so that's why he and Luthien could only get one of the Silmarils. So this Silmarill, like, because they don't need it. What are they going to do with it? Right. It's just like this really bright jewel. Okay, cool, whatever. They can't eat it. They can't sell it on eBay. eBay doesn't exist. Right. No black market for really glowy jewels exists. Right. They can't do anything with it. So they give it to this guy, Aaron Deal. And Aaron Deal is a great seafarer who was himself half-elven. Okay. So Arendil sailed across the sea, landed in Valinor, and showed the Silmaril to the Valar, and he's like, yeah, check it. We got this back. Um, you want to help us get the other two? This sick rock needs its friends. It's very lonely. Yeah. And the Valar were like, yeah, 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 okay. It does look kind of lonely. Well, we'll help you out, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Here's Morgoth. In Middle-earth, wearing his crown with a missing jewel. How embarrassing. I know, and he has to wear it throughout the whole rest of the First Age. Oh, yes. That is humiliation galore. 
And the Valar show up and beat the snot out of him and take him prisoner and pop the remaining two Silmarils out of his crown. De-blinged. De-blinged. Bling denied. So this is a fun detail. After they popped the Silmarils out, Mm -hmm. they hammered the crown into an iron collar and then forced him to wear it around his neck. Oh, no! (laughs) And then... He faced the judgment of the Valar. I'm not sure exactly what their judicial proceedings were like. And he was expelled beyond the walls of the world. Oh, no. So you remember Arda was flat? It's still flat right now, right? Yes. So there's they these, threw him off the edge. Well, they put him. They stuck him through a door. But yeah, there was a door in the wall. It was a giant <laughs> ice wall that surrounded the entire circumference. Just like the real flat earth. Just like the real flat earth. Yeah. And they pushed him out. Through this door, and then he's just kind of floating there <laughs> with an iron collar around his neck for the rest of his natural life, which is forever because he's immortal. Is he still floating out there? He's in space somewhere, presumably. Oh my goodness, that's the end of Morgoth? That's the end of Morgoth, as far as our tale is concerned. Wow. But remember, his protege Sauron is still very much alive. Right, yeah, but that, that's kind of an ignoble end for this guy. Oh right? yeah, I mean, it's what he deserved, because oh. he's a complete dick. Yeah, but like... There's, like, judge, jury, and executioner there, weren't they? They just, like, not only are we going to decrown you, we're going to take all the gems out, we're going to make it into an ugly-ass collar, we're going to throw you into space. Later! Yeah, due process, what's that? Yeah, right. right. I mean, like I said, this, this was early days, so I guess their criminal justice system was not terribly well-developed. I think they probably would have killed him if they could, but they couldn't. Yeah, he's one of them, right? So, yeah, exactly. So they're just going to have him float in space for an eternity. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. All right, so now the Valar have the Silmarils, Mm -hmm. but what about the creator of the Silmarils, Feanor? Because he drummed up all this support and went on this great holy war to Middle-earth to get the Silmarils, and he didn't really. He just lost a bunch of people. He lost five of his seven sons fighting with Morgoth. And he didn't even get any of the Silmarils, which is kind of annoying. So, if you remember, he wanted the Silmarils returned to him pretty bad. He didn't want the Valar to have them. Right. So, two of his sons, the only two of his sons to survive the fighting with Morgoth were called Maedros and Maglor. So, they had the stones to go and steal two of the Silmarils from the Valar. They had the stones to steal the stones. They had the stones to steal the stones. And those had to be some giant stones. Mm -hmm. And and unfortunately for them, this deed was so evil that both Maedros and Maglor were driven to madness by how evil their own conduct was. Um, that's, can that happen? Apparently it can, because Maedros threw himself into a fiery chasm <sighs> along with one of the Silmarils. Bye. And Maglor threw the other Silmaril into the depths of the sea. <sighs> Maglor didn't kill himself, but like he didn't throw himself into the sea. Just the gem. Just the gem. So I guess Maedros got it a little bit worse than Maglor. Yeah, but still, that's a real jerk move. Yeah, I know. So I don't know how Maglor lived out the rest of his days, but it was Sans Silmaril. So now there's only one Silmaril left. So it is bound to the brow of Erendil. Wait, the actual person's head? or Yeah, it's bound to his brow as he sails through the heavens. Erendil still sails through the heavens. He serves as the morning star and the evening star. Oh, okay. This is according to the elves. This is elvish belief. You don't have to buy it. I mean, I mean I'm not elvish. I don't go to church for elves. I so. kind of wonder if, because Erendil's like sailing around the earth forever and ever. Does he keep <laughs> swinging past Morgoth, who's floating in space? Well, now the planet is round, right? Right. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I could probably still see him falling. You know? yeah. yeah. Like, he passes by him over and over and just gives him some, like, cheeky finger guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Morgoth's... Giving him the bird every time, and... Yeah. Get me back in there! Arendelle's like, late! It's a, it's, a, it's a ball now, not a flat plane! I want to get back in it! I'm sorry! No, no, sorry isn't good enough. This collar is very uncomfortable! 
That's what I imagine yeah. happens. Yeah. Okay, two final notes about Aaron Deal, and okay. this will actually close off my part of the podcast. Oh, okay. So in the Fellowship of the Ring, you might remember Galadriel gives Frodo that glowing glass file of light. Yes. And she calls it the light of Arendil, our most beloved star. Right, yes. The light of Arendil, right? The morning star and the yeah. evening star. And that file holds light from Arendil's Silmaril. Oh, wow. Yeah. How'd that work? Um, They just collected it with magic. From space? Well, no. Presumably they put it in there before Arendil went up to... Okay, okay. Yes. So later when Frodo uses the file in Shelob's lair, he cries out, Aya, Arendil, Elenion, and Kalima. Mm. Do you remember him? Yes. Sort of doing that. And that's totally instinctual. Frodo doesn't actually know what it means. Because Frodo speaks Cinder and he doesn't speak Quenya. Okay. Um, but the actual meaning is, Hail Arendil, brightest of stars. And that caused the light of the file to flare up, right? Yeah, right. I remember that. All right. One last fact about Arendil. He had two sons with his wife, Elwing. One of them you won't know. His name was Elros. You don't know if I don't know Elros. You Do you know Elros? No, I don't know Elros. I no. figured you didn't know Elros. I just want you to make assumptions. The other was, can you guess? Uh, Think of the naming scheme. Elwing, Elros. Elrond. Elrond, exactly. Wow, okay. So Arendil was the father of Elrond. And because both of his sons were of mixed parentage, yeah. Elros and Elrond got to choose whether they wanted to be elves or men. Elros chose men. Uh-huh. Elrond chose elves. I got a fun fact for you about that. I'm ready. Do you know what Elrond's name means? No, I don't. The Rond in Spanish. Oh my god. Yeah. Is he related to El Nino? El Nino and... El Chupacabra? El Chupacabra. Wow. Yeah. So I guess Aaron Deal had more sons that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Staggering. Yep. See, you taught me something about Lord of the Rings. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Now I'm going to pass the torch to you because you have a very exciting topic to speak about. Yeah. I picked this topic because... You know, the new Star Wars movie just came out. And with episode 7, episode 8, we have now a canon depiction of what happens after Return of the Jedi. Before that, though, all we had were the novels, the Star Wars books. And the one I picked today to tell you about is the book that takes place like a year after Return of the Jedi. It was written in 1992 by Paul Davids and Hollis Davids. And it is called Star Wars Jedi Prince Book One, The Glove of Darth Vader. Oh my god! I'm really excited! I have to tell you guys... So a couple of years ago, I went to grad school in Boston while Ryan stayed here in Detroit. So it's a little bit lonely. And one day I was feeling really sad and Ryan started texting me facts about the glove of Darth Vader. I literally was like laughing so hard I <laughs> cried in the student lounge at Boston University. Yeah, the reason she found it so funny is because this book is really silly. It's actually for kids. The age range is 8 to 12 years old. It's like a chapter book. It's like 91 pages long. There are seven, count them, seven chapters. And Whoa. And I, I reread it for this podcast. Oh my god. It took me an afternoon. I was taken on a trip down memory lane. I read this when I was a kid. I got it from the uh, our hometown's library and read it because I was amazed I actually had Star Wars books uh, that said what happened after the movies. And I was not disappointed. Really? Even at, So as a kid, you thought this was very cool? Yeah. But as an adult, I reread the synopsis and I was like, that is silly. But let's go through it. I, I'm going to tell you a tale. I'm going to ask for some audience participation here, oh Joanna. Oh my god. So, Yay. So the book starts, the first couple pages, it's a huge synopsis of the entire original trilogy. To remind you, just in case you're reading this book not having watched a Star Wars film before. I have no earthly idea why anybody would read The Glove of Darth Vader not having seen the movies in which Darth Vader appears. Maybe they're like weird homeschool kids who can't watch movies but can read books or something. Possible. We definitely had a lot of those in our town. But it ends with a paragraph that leads us into our book. 
With the Empire's evil leaders gone and their battle station destroyed, a new era has begun. Imperial warlords have been fighting for power among themselves, but no one knows who will seize control. However, the prophets of the dark side have foretold that a new emperor will soon arise, and on his hand he shall wear an indestructible symbol of evil, the glove of Darth Vader. Okay, obviously that's very silly. Aren't you excited, though, to see who's going to take the glove of Darth Vader? I am, but I feel like if there's a symbol of evil on Darth Vader, it would probably be his helmet. No, right? No, yeah, yeah. But Not his glove. Think about the glove. I have never really thought about his glove before, but I certainly am now. Well, you're gonna by the end of the story. So the first chapter is on Yavin 4. You remember Yavin 4? Uh, no, the Battle of Yavin 4. But Yavin 4 is that planet they were on with like all the pyramids and the jungle. Right. And stuff. And that's where the rebels have their base. C-3PO and R2-D2 are getting ready to go on a spying mission. For... Oh, yeah. If you want somebody to spy, there's nobody better than a guy who clanks when he walks. There's a new organization they created called SPIN. It stands for Senate's Planetary Intelligence Network. <laughs> and Luke is helping them. The Weepachutasant! Beeped R2-D2, turning his new dome left and right so that Luke and 3PO would notice. No, I don't think you look wonderful, replied 3PO. Wow. So every time R2-D2 talks... It's a crazy onomatopoeia like a that. A crazy onomatopoeia, then C-3PO explains what he just said. I mean, C-3PO kind of has to do that in the movies, though, too. He does, he does. Anyway, they're getting ready to go on this mission. Luke takes them to meet with Spin at the Temple of the Woolamander. The Woolamander. Woolamanders are like these big blue monkeys who live on Yavin 4, and they live around this temple. Would it, it sound... This, this was not in the book. This was in Star Wars Galaxies the MMORPG that I played when I was in high school. What a woolamander sounds like is a salamander that's simultaneously like a frat bro. Woo! Well, it's like a howler monkey. But howler monkey. I have to silence that big ass Oh, sorry. It's like gonna kill everyone. No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. We're gonna keep moving. Okay. Um, They go to meet with Spin. Princess Leia's there. Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca, Mon Mothma, and Admiral Akbar, who they describe as the sad-eyed fish man. (laughs) Yeah. When I think of Admiral Akbar, I think of his sad eyes. Sad-eyed fish man. That's so... Wait, but who's Mon? Mon Mothma. If you remember in Return of the Jedi, she's the lady who's, like, giving the big speech to the to the oh, pilots and stuff. does she have kind of short hair? She's the one who talks about how Bothans died to bring us this information. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I do remember her. Okay, okay. Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma. Basically, the plan is they're going to send R2-D2 and C-3PO to Kessel, which you, you remember Kessel from the movies? Mm. Like, I remember the name. Wait, was it the thing where Hansel, like, did the Kessel Run or something? In 12 parsecs. Yeah. But in this book, he says he did the Kessel Run in 12 time parts. I don't know if they thought kids couldn't handle parsecs, but... Well, I mean, people have often argued that parsec is a unit of distance, not a unit of time. Right. Maybe the authors of this book recognized that and they were trying to rectify it. Could be. But anyway, they're going there because there's going to be a huge meeting of all the Imperial officers, the Moffs, the Warlords, Stormtroopers. They're all gathering to hear who will be the next leader of the Empire because their new Supreme Prophet of the Dark Side named Kadan has given this prophecy. After Palpatine's fiery death, another leader soon comes to command the Empire, and on his right hand does he wear the glove of Darth Vader. A menacing silence fell over the briefing room. Patoopazi! <laughs> as his new dome rotated back and forth. He wants to know how the right glove of Darth Vader can still exist, said 3PO. I want to know that too. It was punctuated by that. And uh, you might remember in Empire Strikes Back, there's a part on Cloud City where Han Solo tries to shoot Darth Vader. Right. And Darth Vader holds out his glove and stops the blasters with his hand. Right, because he's so strong in the Force, he can just do that. He doesn't need to... It's not like he needs any special equipment to do it. He's just really strong in the Force. um, It's not like it has anything to do with what he's wearing on his hand. Well, it does. 
It does, because it turns out the glove of Darth Vader, the right one in particular, is made of an indestructible material. So, sorry, so is his glove responsible for everything he does with that hand? Like, when he force chokes people, is that just the glove? It's got powers, yeah. So he doesn't actually use the force. His glove is just really good. Yeah. Like, how far does this go? Like, is well, everything attributable to the his story, glove? Well, the story, you'll find out, because, yes. Okay, good, because I have a lot of questions about this. So if you remember last week, we talked about Endor and the Death Star's explosion, how the pieces went through wormholes and stuff. Yes. And so it's rumored that the glove has traveled through a wormhole somewhere in the galaxy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is, this is an interstellar wormhole-jumping glove. Right. And so the idea is they're going to send the droids to Kessel. They're going to kind of listen in on who's going to be the new leader of the Empire and maybe get some information. So the way they're going to infiltrate this big meeting is they're going to land in a probe that is shaped like a meteorite. And then when the mission is over, it's going to shed the meteorite shell and look like a probe droid. And they're going to fly away. Sorry, is that technology that they have in the Star Admiral Akbar made it for them, yeah. Wow, there's some real intelligence behind those sad eyes. (laughs) Yes. Before they leave, there's a really fun conversation between Han and Leia. Do you want to read it with me? Oh my God. Reader's Theater. Reader's Theater, yes. Do you want to be Han or Leia? I'll be Han, actually. Ooh, subverting expectations. Subverting expectations. I'm going to be Han, you're going to be Leia. I'll be the narrator, too. All right. Under the starlit sky of Yavin 4, Han Solo walked Princess Leia to her quarters. Your Highness, after Chewie and I drop off the droids in the meteor pod on Kessel and take Lando back to Cloud City, well, I don't know exactly how to put this. I'm not planning on coming back for a while. But Han, you know how important you are to spin. Maybe so, but Lando's offered me a lease on a piece of sky near Cloud City. I've always dreamed of having a place of my own, and I figure it's about time Chewie and I built my dream sky house. Can't you put it off until we know what's going on with the new emperor? Princess, there's always something important that seems to come up before I can take care of my own dreams. Time is running out, and a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. Scene. Why doesn't Han just do something for him for once? Why doesn't he go build his perfect sky house with Chewie? (laughs) I'm sorry, doesn't Chewie have a family? He does, but he wants to build a sky house with Chewie. Han is like Chewie's mistress now at this point. Like, they're building their own place, and Han's just going to be a kept woman. Now, spoiler, this does not come back in any way in the book. (laughs) No? No. He never built his dream sky house? Well, this is part one of the Jedi Prince series, and so I imagine they cover it in a later book. But that's the last time Han and Leia are in this book. So that is chapter one. Okay, in chapter two, they land on Kessel and they sneak into a stadium through the secret tunnels. And they have a really good conversation too. Do you want to read the conversation with oh, me? Yes. Oh, yes. Do you want yes. to be R2-D2 or C-3PO? I'll be R2-D2 because your C-3PO voice is on point. Okay. I quite agree with you. I'd have thought they'd given up the war too when their second Death Star blew up. And when Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader died and... Oh, no! C-3PO walked into a metal column and clattered to the ground. Now look what you made me do! He quickly picked himself up and checked his plating for dents. You're always distracting me, R2. No, there aren't any droid-eating monsters down here. Now stop babbling and help me look for the entrance to the stadium. And and gracious, there it is back there. Why didn't you tell me we'd pass it, you nearsighted hunk of tin? Well, same to you. So once again, showing how great they are at stealth and why it was so good that they were chosen for this reconnaissance mission. I forgot to mention, they they painted themselves green, so... (laughs) That's gonna save it. Yeah. So 3PO is literally like stumbling and falling all over the place. Yeah. But he's painted green, so no one's and gonna And R2D2 is not telling him the directions, and so 
Yeah, they're the perfect spies. Awesome pick. Always a good choice. But they eventually make it there, and they find themselves privy to a meeting of the moths and the officers and the stormtroopers. The stadium is full of Imperial officers, and it's being conducted by Grand Moth Hissa. Oh, not Grand Moff Tarkin? Tarkin's dead. I know, but Tarkin or Bust? No, Hissa's pretty great. He's a beady-eyed Grand Moff. He was bald and his teeth had been filed into sharp spear-like points. Shame! I am Grand Moff Hissa, he announced. And to my fellow Grand Moffs, and to the Grand Admirals, other officers, stormtroopers, bounty hunters, slave lords and slaves, I bid you all dark greetings. Dark greetings. So, okay, we were talking earlier about how Morgoth can't possibly think he's the good guys. Well, Moff Hissa is really leaning into it, for sure. Well, he's leaning into the snake theme, certainly. His yeah. name is Hissa. He's got sharp snake teeth. He- like, do you think he's one of those guys, or in high school, he was trying to think of an identity for himself? Yeah, and he's, he's like, like, I'll be a shark man. He's like, everybody, everybody says I look like a snake because I have these crazy snake teeth. Everybody calls me Hissa from now on. And his friends are like, nobody calls you nobody that. Nobody calls you that. Your name is and he's like, no, it's Hissa. It's Hissa all the way. Todd, your, your name is Todd. No, it's Hissa. Nobody even knows my real name. I'm an enigma. I'm just Hissa. Okay, Todd. Basically, makes a big speech how the Death Star's destruction was just a setback. And they're still as powerful as ever. And he's going to present the new emperor, the son of the emperor. What? Did you know the emperor had a son? Gross, no. Friends of the Empire. Grandma Fissa announced, I present to you the son of the Emperor Palpatine, Trioculus, the supreme slave lord of Kessel. Trioculus? Can you guess why he's called Trioculus? Presumably he had three eyes. He is a handsome three-eyed man. Or should I say three-eyed and mutant. That is so half-assed. You have a son, he's got some deformity, he's born with three eyes, and you just name him three eyes, basically. He's not a deformity. A mutant in Star Wars, apparently, is half-human, half-alien. Oh my god, does that mean Palpatine slept with... An alien with three eyes. It gives a little bit of history of Trioculus, as it's talking about how pretty he is, except for his third eye in the middle of his forehead. (laughs) You can't overlook that! Which they never stop mentioning in this book. Poor guy, he's not allowed to forget it, even his name. he has a sad life. As the only mutant in his school on Kessel, he was teased and hit constantly by the other students, who made fun of his third eye. Trioculus became obsessed with fighting back and taking revenge. And he became the schoolyard bully and learned how to make his classmates fear him by spying on them and reporting those who didn't follow the rules. Wait, so his secret power is snitching? Yeah, he's, a, he's like Randall from Recess, basically. Wow, spooky. Yeah, real spooky. But Dracula speaks. He says, My father, the Emperor, had many powers of the dark side, but without three eyes, he could never achieve perfection. <laughs> downfall of the emperors that he didn't have three eyes that's the real reason why the rebellion was able to win well there's a prophecy that says that he who has third eyes will have the secret strength possessed by none other and so that doesn't mean like your sort of psychic third eye like that would be in tune with the force or something no that means a literal third eye. literal third eye okay cool so there's a guard who kind of speaks up and he's like well how can you be leader without the glove of darth vader <laughs> and so traculus can't there's no sticks way. out his hand <laughs> And does force lightning on him. And electrocutes him. And this goes down a storm. They love it. They're all way behind Trioculus You killed a minimum wage worker! Woo! He didn't kill him, but he did show the power of the dark side through his hand. Okay. That was chapter two. Okay. Chapter three begins with Trioculus inviting his best guys, his grand moths, to his place on Kessel for a feast of Whaladon meat. You know what a Whaladon is? Is it like a dinosaur that's whale-shaped? Well, it is a giant, intelligent whale, sentient and wise, that lives on the planet of Admiral Akbar, Mon Calamari. Oh. And it's illegal to hunt them on Mon Calamari, but the Empire has a guy called Captain Dunwell, who's kind of a poacher, 
who has been hunting them for them for their eating pleasures. So when he delivers up some whale meat, yeah, um, are they like, you done well, done well? <laughs> That's good. So he's having a meeting with the moss. They're all chowing down on whale meat, just loving it. And then he spoke seven words. Find me the glove of Darth Vader. Find me the glove of Darth... Yeah, that's seven words, yeah. He said in a booming voice. Then he stared at them with his third eye, causing his loyal officers to shudder. So wait, so like his other two eyes were looking the other way, but his third eye just swivels around and it's like... Yeah, yeah, sure. And they're like, ugh! Yeah. That's so gross! The moths decide to send out probe droids to find the glove all across the galaxy. So he asked the guys, where should we build our new base? And one says, Tatooine! He's like, no! It's too hot! It sucks! Blah! How about Bespin? Fooey! We got enough Tabana gas mines. We don't need another gas planet. Fooey to that. Uh, Dagobah? Stop wasting my time, he says. Quit name dropping literally every planet from the Star Wars movies. He says, oh, how about Hoth? He says, ah, now we're talking. Sorry, Tatooine is too hot, but Hoth is fine. Hoth, you get hypothermia if you're outside for more than, like, five minutes. It's more of a symbolic gesture. They have an abandoned uh, rebel base there that they can just slide right in and say, ha, 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 took your house. All right, fine. I just say, if I was the guy that suggested Tatooine and got told off, I'd be like, oh, okay, sure, but Hoth is fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, R2-D2 and C-3PO are lost in the cities of Tesla. <laughs> of course. Oh, so reliable. R2 beeped noisily when they came to the next sign because they're walking around the city trying to find their way out. 3PO shook his head in dismay. Slave Lord Boulevard. No, this definitely isn't Spice Mines Avenue. Okay. <laughs> they named their streets on Kessel Slave Lord Boulevard. And like... it used to be called Spice Mines Avenue. <laughs> oh my god. That's like if all the streets in Detroit were called Closed Automotive Plant Boulevard. Right. And like... Massive 70s Riots Street. <laughs> Uh, exactly. So they get back to the pod eventually, but as they get up there, an Imperial ship blows it up. Oh, no. no! But thankfully, Luke swoops into the last minute and saves their bacon. Oh, Luke does? Luke followed behind because he thought they were taking too long. So chapter four. Oh my God, we're halfway through now. I know. The probe droids, they aren't finding anything. They thought they found a glove, but it was just a droid hand in space. Don't speak to me of droid hands, Hissa, said Trioculus, sneering. I mean, I also don't like it when people speak to me of droid hands. Yes. <laughs> they get a message from Captain Dunwell. He sends his dark greetings and invites Trioculus to Mon Calamari. If they're trying to look like a legitimate government, they need to stop using the phrase dark greetings. They have dark greeting cards, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, on like holidays. Yeah, live, laugh, love, dark greetings. <laughs> uh, so meanwhile, back on Mon Calamari, Leviathor, the great white Whaladon, he's like the leader of the Whaladons. Yeah. And he's very sad because he's found the graveyard of his Whaladon compatriots. Oh, honey. All the ones that the moths are eaten. What's sadder, Leviathor when he finds his dead ancestors or Admiral Ak? Bar's eyes. Well, I think that's a... Oh, my gosh, Joanna. That's, like, what happens when an un- immovable... or Unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Imagine I said that. Yeah, I'm imagining it. It's impossible to judge. Dunwell has built a Whaledon processing plant underwater, and he has a super mega Whaledon hunting sub. So Leviathor is very sad, so he heads to the underwater city of Aquarius to ask the sad-eyed fishmen for help. They all have sad eyes? Well, that's, that's my editorializing. They're, Are they uh, Akbar's people? The Akbar's people, yeah. Mon oh Calamari. my god, that's awesome! Yeah, they go to the underwater city. That's really cool, actually. I like that. Yeah. And meanwhile, conveniently, Luke, Akbar, and the droids decide to head to Mon Calamari as well, so it's not on the Empire's radar. And they get there and they take a submarine to Aquarius as well. Ooh. So they're all in the same place now. Why do they want to go to Aquarius? Because it's off the radar. They have to upload the information about Trioculus. They have this new data. So just coincidentally. Coincidentally, that's where Trioculus is heading as well. Aquarius is a giant bubble. But as they enter the city, they hear a sad Whaledon song. 
Oh, I think there's a whale down in our apartment. In our studio, I mean. Oh. The song is Leviathor singing about how Captain Dunwell's new Whaledon hunting submarine is making them face extinction. Hunting submarine! And this touches their hearts. Wise one of the Calamarian seas, says Admiral Akbar. You have my solemn promise that I will do everything I can to save you and your valiant species. That's nice of him. Yeah, Akbar's a good guy. That's in chapter four. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we're more than halfway through. It's all coming together. Chapter it's all coming together. Trioculus has now arrived on Calamari and he heads to the processing facility. In the cruiser's forward observation room, Trioculus peered with all three of his eyes at the misty, dark ocean bottom. Do you remember? He has three eyes. Did you um, forget? I'd actually forgotten. Is that why he's called Trioculus? Yeah. I'd totally forgotten. Well, he meets with Captain Dunwell. And another, another nice little excerpt here. Trioculus didn't like the way the captain seemed to be staring at him. It was as though the captain were repulsed by Trioculus's third eye. <laughs> I mean, earlier all his men shuddered at it, so he has to know people do not like the third eye. Dunwell uh, lets him know that he found a chunk of the Death Star 2 in oh. the deep waters of Mount Calamari. Of course he did. Because like I told you last time, it traveled through a warp uh, from Endor all the way here. So he's found the glove, or so he thinks. Trioculus stared at the captain with his third eye, sending out hypnotic waves. A stare like that can make a man very truthful. The captain turns slightly pale. I love how, like, every time he looks at something, they specify whether he was using all three eyes or just the third eye. Right. <laughs> you have to be able to visualize this accurately. Yes. Anyway, they hop in the Whaledon hunting submarine to investigate this chunk of the Death Star. Meanwhile, Luke and Akbar have sent their info to the spin group, and the droids get their old color back, and they decide to help out Leviathor. So at that moment, they notice the Whaledon sub on their radar, and so they decide to follow it in their mini sub. They follow the sub into a place called the Valley of Giant Oysters, which is full of all kinds of metal debris. Oh, I thought it would be full of giant oysters. Well, it's got those too, but lots of metal okay, debris. Okay, I was going to say, given the name. And that's chapter five. Okay. Chapter 6, Trioculus goes out in a diving suit into the wreckage and finds an undamaged black gauntlet, the Glove of Darth Vader! Oh my god. The one that's basically all Darth Vader's powers. Right. Luke watches. Using underwater macro binoculars, he could see that the diver had three eyes. Trioculus! <gasps> could it be? Yes. And so they charge after Trioculus' sub. But before they can do that, they're attacked by a giant squid! Oh, God, that was under there, too? Yes, and it's got... I mean, the, it is called Mon Calamari. It's so. got them all grabbed. It's pulling them down. And all of a sudden, the squid starts getting pulled by something. And they <gasps> notice they're in a vortex created by the Whaledon hunting sub. They're being sucked inside it. Oh, is this how it hunts Whaledons? It yes! It creates a vortex? Yes! God! It sucks them up and then puts them in a holding chamber. Oh, no! And they're being sucked up, too! They're going to end up in the underwater processing plant! Luckily, no one on board notices that they've been sucked aboard because the Aqualish pirates who are running it... You know, you know Aqualish? No. Do you remember the guy in A New Hope who gets his arm cut off? The one guy's like, I have the death sentence on 12 systems! He's like, he doesn't like you! Oh, yeah! That says, guy. Like, I don't like you either! And then Obi-Wan chops his arm off? Yeah. That's an Aqualish, yeah. yeah. So those guys are helping out. They're helping Dunwell do well. But they're distracted because they're playing Sabacc. <laughs> what is Sabacc? Is it like a card game? Yeah, it's actually how Han Solo won the Millennium Falcon off Lando. Oh, yeah? In Game of Sabacc. Different. So they're playing, they're playing cards. They didn't even notice this little mini-subs on board their ship now. What kind of crap at their jobs? Meanwhile, Trioculus has gotten on board, too, and he's, he's totally distracted because he's putting on the glove, and he's really enjoying it. <laughs> Ooh. It says how he, he put it on Ooh. slowly, regally, like a king setting a crown upon his head. Ooh, oh, it feels so good. It fits like a glove. And he feels a sudden surge of power from the dark side. Nice. And he wants to test it out, so he walks over to the Aqualish hunters who are playing Sabacc, and they ignore him. And so he tries to choke them with the glove, but nothing happens. Oh, so it's actually a crap glove. You so thought it was going to be good, and it's actually crap. So he's like, crumbs, and he electrocutes him to death instead. <laughs> Why did he even 
kill them. He's mad. He goes into Dumbwell's office. He's all bummed out. And Hissa goes with him. And he's all miffed because when Vader used the glove, he could, like, choke people. What's going on? That's no way to retain personnel. Yeah. Turnover rate must be astronomical. Hissa's like, no, it's a symbol of great evil. Don't worry about it, my lord. And whoever wears it will lead the Empire. He's, like, trying to reassure him. So it's basically just a symbol. Like, it doesn't actually do anything. Well, Trichlis says, I'm not interested in symbol. I want the same power as Darth Vader. Yeah, I'm not interested in symbols either, Trioculus. I'm with you. Yeah, so having this conversation, Hissa reveals to the reader that Tri's uh, medical droid has implanted cybernetic devices in his hand so he can shoot fake force lightning. It's fake? He put little implants in his fingers. But it's still hurting people, so it's real lightning. But it's not force lightning. It's not from the force, okay. It also reveals that it may kill him if he uses it too much. <laughs> what? And Tarakulus also reveals in this conversation that the Grand Moffs know he's a phony. But he's only going for this because he's promised the Grand Moffs when he takes over as Emperor... He'll share control with them. Does this mean that Trioculus is not actually the son of the Emperor? He's just a guy with three eyes. He's a phony, yeah. And he says this all with a blaze of anger in all three of his eyes. Again, specify. Again, specify. Which of his eyes looked angry? Right. Did two of them look angry and one just looked slightly chagrined? Yeah. Hissa no, responds, The Emperor's real three-eyed son, Triclops, is a hopelessly <laughs> insane man, and all of our attempts to cure him have met with failure. Stop Obviously, it's better that a trusted three-eyed mutant such as yourself should take his place, my lord. If we were were to permit Triclops to rule the Empire, his madness would surely bring about the end of us all. Sorry, so the Emperor does have a son with three eyes who is also named Three Eyes. Triclops, he's hopelessly insane. Just with a Greek root instead of a Latin root. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. They tried to cure him, don't work, so they put in Trioculus as their stand-in. This is so stupid. There's two guys with three eyes, and they're both named Three Eyes. Yeah. Sure. You know what? I just accept it at this point. So Trioculus is taking the place of Triclops. The medical droid offers to give some powers to the glove uh, so they can make a high-frequency noise to make people collapse and make it seem as though they have been choked. So the glove is going to be able to, like, echolocate. Well, it makes their eardrums explode and their brains disintegrate. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay, now he can do that. That's cool. Meanwhile, Luke and the droids are getting out of the sub to save the Whaladons who are all trapped in these containment pods. Oh no! Um, and they come across Dunwell, who's actually been listening in to Trioculus' conversation. Oh my god. Luke disarms him and uses a Jedi mind trick on him to get access to a computer terminal so that R2 can hack the sub. Nice. Yeah. So Luke decides to free the Whaladons and self-destruct the hunting sub at the same time. He thinks it'll take about 10 minutes. So he gives it 10 minutes before it explodes. So chapter 7 begins with Trioculus arriving and finding uh, Luke and eases lightning despite Hissa's warning until Luke collapses. And so he and Hissa make their escape. Luke gets up and runs to the mini-sub where his buds are waiting for him, and they get out safely. It's yeah. pretty anticlimactic there. And the, the whales are swimming free. It's all good. Meanwhile, Hissa, Trioculus, and Dunwell are getting into their escape pod. And Dunwell tries to get in first, and Hissa stops them, since the heir to the Empire gets to go first, obviously. Clearly. But then Dunwell reveals that he knows Trioculus is a phony. He's been listening in. So Trioculus locks him out of the pod <gasps> and explodes his brain with his hand. Is that because of the high-frequency thing? He disintegrates his brain... God! With glove. God! And takes the pod. He makes a cool one-liner about Captain going down with the ship. And so everyone escapes. Luke, Akbar, the droids, Trioculus, Hissa. They all get away. The Whaladons, they escape. Okay. And Luke and his friends make it back to Spin's base on Yavin 4. And Admiral Akbar tells them that they've been invited to a Whaladon concert as thanks. A concert? A concert of Whaladons. Wow. Yeah. You saved a bunch of our people from being slaughtered for their meat. Yeah. So we're going to put on a sick show for you. Yeah. So they go back to Mon Calamari a little while later for the concert. They have a water ballet, Whaledon folk melodies, classical Whaledon songs, and an opera Leviathor had composed that told the legendary story of how he had become the Whaledon leader many years ago by helping the Whaledon survive an undersea volcanic eruption. Oh. 
uh, opera about himself. Good job, mm, Leviathor. That, I mean, Le- Leviathor is a cool guy, but that's slightly self-absorbed. Yep. The last line is Luke kind of thinking back on, on the adventure he just had, and he can't forget the Imperial leader's dire threat. I shall destroy you, Skywalker! You have my promise! So wait, so so Triaculus is still out there. Well, it's a it's a first book of a three-parter, right? Um, many-parter. I don't know if there's only three oh, parts. So Triaculus is going to come back, Probably. presumably. So the book, there's a glossary that talks about all the different characters and who they are, just again, in case you've never seen a Star Wars movie. Right. I, forgot, I didn't really mention this in my synopsis, but since it's a kid's book, there's a lot of bits where they just like start with a loud sound effect in all caps. Sure. You know, like Goosebumps did that all the oh, time. Oh, yeah, like the, the first word of the check would be like, bang! Yeah. Boom! Why do you see if you can guess what some of these sound effects are? Okay. Bzzzt! That's got to be um, something getting electrocuted. It's a door. Wait. It just says it's a door? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Sweet! A mouse getting goosed. Also a door. Oh, okay. Wrong! That's somebody banging on a huge bell at a Buddhist temple. It's a metal door closing. Why is everything a door? Thwomp! That is somebody tossing a dead body out of a hayloft. Subtrap door closing on whale. I don't want everything's a door! A lot of doors. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> There's many literally, more, but... Uh, literally everything's a door, le- though. At least half are doors. <laughs> okay. How many different doors did this... <laughs> Whatever. So now you've learned about the story of The Glove of Darth Vader by Paul Davids and Hollis Davids. Talk about a dynamic duo. And can you imagine that Disney just threw this fantastic story out the door with their new movies? It's a crime, to be honest. The whole time we were watching uh, episode 7, all I could think about is, where is the glove of Darth Vader? Where's Trioculus? Where's Trioculus? What is this? Where's Leviathor? Where's the Whaledon concert? Where's all the metal doors closing? Yep! Thwomp! Grong! That was staggering. Are you going to be doing the other books of this series or just that one? I don't know. Time will tell. Wow, you're going to make me wait for it. I will. Thanks for listening, everybody. We now have a Facebook group. We have a Twitter. That's What's Lightsabers on Twitter. The Facebook group is What's Lightsabers Precious. We have an email address if you have any corrections or suggestions for things we should cover. What's Lightsabers Precious at gmail.com. And we are also on iTunes. Yes. And it would be a major help if you enjoy this show to rate us. And it's not just because we want high ratings, which of course we do. It's because the more we are rated on iTunes, the easier it is for other people to find us. And listen, I know iTunes ain't a great program. You don't got to download it. Just, you know, go on the website. Hit those five stars. That'd be great. That's probably the preferred thing because iTunes is it's kind of a buttlord. It's a butt of a program. It's a butt of a program. Another thing I would like to say, next week... We will not be doing one of our regular episodes. We will be doing a special Christmas episode. Yes, holiday specials. You should look forward to it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Oh, we still didn't think of a name for them. Um, well, to you, I bid you dark greetings and dark goodbyes. That's right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.